We are in a series titled Origin Stories. We're studying the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Chapter 12 zooms in on Abraham and the rest of Genesis follows his family story. But the first 11 chapters are all of our stories, the origin story of all people. And if you want to understand who you are, where you came from, what's your purpose in life, you need to know the first 11 chapters of Genesis. These are critically grounding texts of the Bible, and it's worth the time and energy to sit on them and study them. Next week, we're going to be looking at the consequence of sin. Unfortunately, brokenness rode into the world on the back of Adam and Eve's sin, and, and we're going ha- to look at it, and it's, it's tragic, but we need to understand it in order to understand the reality of our lives today. But what we're going to do today is look at that actual moment in time when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God, when they concluded that they were better off going their own way than doing it God's way. And of course, behind that was Satan deceiving them and tempting them. Now, we cannot escape all the brokenness in the world. This sin has brought brokenness in the world. People sin against us. There's just brokenness all around us. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of brokenness we can avoid if we will avoid sinning. Because when we sin, into our lives comes more yuck. And we can avoid that if we will obey God. And so... Here's the promise of today's message. The promise of today's message is if we will look closely at what happened with Adam and Eve and take note of how Satan deceived them, we can uh, buoy up our own resolve and inoculate ourselves to some of his strategies to keep us from sinning, from giving in to temptation. And, And the less sin we have in our lives, the healthier and happier we are, the less brokenness in our lives. And so this is a very important story, a story that you should ruminate on quite a bit because uh, Satan is up to the same tricks today, the same strategies he he used to uh, convince Adam and Eve that they should disobey God. He just does the same thing with us today. And so we want to be aware and on guard so we can say, no, thank you like our Lord Jesus did when Satan unsuccessfully tempted him. And Jesus said, nope, I'm going to do it God's way. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. The story of the fall, Adam and Eve, and in Adam all humanity falling from that state of innocence into a state of sin and its death. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now the next thing I expect to read is Eve squealed, ah, there's a snake talking to me. She seems to just take this talking serpent in stride and I don't understand that. It's a mystery to me. Now, later in the Bible, we, we are told that the serpent is Satan that great deceiver, our adversary. 
But it appears that he, he took on the form of a, of a snake. Did the animals talk before the fall? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But he's crafty. He's crafty. And so he doesn't just come right out and say, hey, Eve, you should disobey God. He, he's very subtle in the way that he leads her there. Now, it's important to note that the serpent was made by God. Satan is not God's competitor. Yes, God's enemy, but not God's competitor. Satan is not equal to God. Satan is a creature. Owes his very existence to the will of God. But Satan was not content to play the role that God had assigned him. Even though he was the most beautiful of all the angels, he longed to be more. He was discontent with his allotted situation. He longed to be like God, and so he rebels. And God kicks him out of heaven, and a third of the angels go with him. And Satan hates God and wants to strike at God. He knows he cannot win, but in his hatred and in his anger, he wants to strike at God, and so he strikes at those whom God loves, whom God has created in his own image. It must have just killed Satan to see Adam and Eve enjoying uh, the garden and fellowship with God and innocence. And we don't know how for how long that went on. It may be a few years, maybe thousands of years, but finally Satan decides, I've got to go mess this up. And how am I going to do that? The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to convince Adam and Eve to sin against God. And when they do, all of the consequences of sin will enter into this world God has made. I once was talking to a young man who was dabbling in witchcraft and he was convinced that Satan was helping him manage life, giving him power. And, and I said, listen, Satan has zero interest in helping you. His only goal is to hurt you. Now, he might give you some, some control and some power in your life in order to gain mastery over you, but make, make no mistake, his end goal is to harm you because you're created in the image of God, and by striking at you, he can strike at God. That's his goal. He is the destroyer. He is not, he does not have our best interests at heart, and he certainly doesn't have Eve's interest at heart. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, Satan's uh, de deception has three parts to it, and the first one is this. He's, he's trying to get Eve to believe that God's rules are too strict. And Satan knows, he knows what God has told Adam, that he's allowed to eat of any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he twists God's words. Why? Because the implication is Eve. Man, God really say you cannot eat of any of these trees? Man, that's, that seems harsh. That seems really strict, doesn't it? How could you live underneath that kind of a, a, a rule? You see, when God, when Satan can get us to, to believe that God's rules are too strict, then we let ourselves off the hook and we say, you know what? That's, 
That's an overly burdensome uh, rule. God cannot expect me to keep that. I don't expect myself to keep that. And we let ourselves off the hook. Well, of course I was going to sin. Let me give you an example. So in 2007, Chicago Tribune, they featured an, an article, ran an article titled, Waiting Until Marriage for Sex. Bad idea. Written by a guy named Dustin Siebert. Quote, Sex is as, is as inevitable as taxes. And it feels too good for most people to wait for a life partner to partake in. Now, reckless teenagers popping out babies are problematic and a topic for another column. But I think staying virginal for a legal or religious union is entirely unnatural. A lot of people wait on sex so as to ingratiate themselves to their creator. But I believe that any God who would make us natural horn dogs yet still limit sex to procreation only has a deplorable sense of humor. Now, he misunderstands God's sexual ethic. It's not just for procreation, but it is limited to the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And you get what he's saying. He's saying the biblical sexual ethic is unnatural. It's not fun. It's impossible. And only God must have a sick sense of humor if he... He made us as sexual as he did, and then he says, and you got to wait until you're married. Now, this is not, he's not, Mr. Siebert is not the only guy who thinks this way. And many professing Christians think this way. Now, let me ask you, how difficult do you think it is? How, how hard of a time does Satan have tempting somebody who thinks that way into sexual sin. Not hard at all. They've already let themselves off the hook. God's law, his rules are too strict. Nobody can keep this. I don't even pretend to think I can. So why fight the temptation? And you give in. But are God's rules too strict? Or are they actually the rules that come from the one who created us and knows us and knows the world that he has put us in and he knows exactly how we can find happiness and health and blessing? Well, that's the biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is the rules of God are not strict. They're designed just for us and they work as well in, in today, 2021, as they did way back in the garden. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, we read, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Elsewhere, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, of course, that's all possible because... We have been invaded by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of the God indwells us and changes our hearts to long to do what is right, gives us an appetite for what is right, and, and empowers our will to obey. And so we are told, 
walk by the Spirit in Galatians, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. In Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, we're told, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So trust me, if he hasn't already, Satan will feed you this lie. God's rules are too strict. And because they're too strict, because they're unreasonable, you don't need to believe or even try to obey. And if you swallow that lie, it's just a very small step into sin. And so we counter lies with truth, right? So here it is. If you've got your bulletin, here it is. You can fill it in. Here's this belief, and I'm, I'm challenging you to... It, it's important to do this before you're in the heat of the temptation, right? You've got to ingest these truths, own these truths, claim these truths before that, uh, that pressure cooker uh, moment of temptation. And then it can, it can give you the, the, the will, the steel you need to say no in, in that moment. So we have a belief, and here it is. Say, I want you to say to yourself, I believe God's rules were crafted in perfect knowledge of what would make me healthy and happy, and I can obey God with the help of the Holy Spirit. All right, so we have it up on the screen. If you want to say this with me, and maybe what you need to be saying is, God, I believe, help my unbelief, but let's say this together. Rather than, rather than the lie that God's rules are too strict, I believe, out loud with me, God's rules were crafted in perfect knowledge of what would make me healthy and happy, and I can obey God with the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, Satan has softened Eve up with this first lie, and now he moves to the second, which is this. Essentially, he says, God's warnings are too dire. So Eve has responded to Satan, and, and Eve has said, actually, we are allowed to eat of all the trees uh, except the one in the middle of the garden. Uh, we're not allowed to eat from that fruit, nor even touch it, or we'll die. By the way, uh, she's added, probably it came from Adam. Adam Receives the command from the Lord. He's passing it on to his wife Eve and he adds a little extra. God says don't eat from the tree and he says don't even touch it. He figures if she doesn't touch it, then she's not going to eat it. And it's probably well-meaning, but boy, people have done that, right? Uh, we, God draws a boundary and says play with inside the bounds and we say, well, I'm going to draw an even smaller boundary. And so God says, don't get drunk. And we say, don't drink. And God says, don't commit adultery. And we say, don't dance. Yeah, right? <laughs> and we, and it's well-meaning. But the problem is, 
Actually, we, if one of Satan's strategies is to convince people that God's rules are too strict, well, let's not, let's not add anything else on. Because then people might be easier prey to Satan's temptation. So, Eve has said, we can eat of all the, the, the trees, just not the one in the center, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God's lying to you. He is exaggerating. It's a scare tactic. You can disobey God and there won't be consequences. I had a friend who was unhappy in his marriage. We had lots of conversations about it. And then I remember this one. He, he announces, I'm planning to leave my wife. And he's a brother in Christ. And so I said, you know, hey, uh, you know that's not God's will for you. God wants you to keep fighting for your marriage. You know, have you done everything you can, can do? And he was, he was just fed up and he had made his mind up. And in, in our conversation, I remember him saying, you know what, I'm leaving her, and if God's going to send me to hell as a result, so be it. And now he was, I'm sure he was just, you know, in the heat of the moment, although he did go on to divorce his wife. So he meant what he said. But I have to, I, I cannot believe that he actually thought Eternity in hell is worth it in order to avoid, what, a few more decades with my wife? I mean, how could he possibly think that? There's no way he calculated that. I he has to have believed this, swallowed this lie that he could sin and get away with it. That God wasn't, there weren't going to actually be consequences from God for his sin. Now, I didn't tell him you're going to hell if you divorce your wife. I did not say that. And I don't know what the consequences are. But what I do know is the consequences are far greater than whatever unhappiness he was experiencing in his marriage. When you just wide-eyed look at the command of God and then say to yourself, I don't care, I'm going to do it my own way. I don't want to be you. Don't go there. Don't go there. But there have been all, all kinds of people who, who Satan has convinced there's no hell. There's no consequences. You can, you can uh, just live on credit cards and you'll be fine. You don't need, you don't need to uh, give to other people and prioritize the kingdom of God. You can just... Do what you want. You can, you know, be uh, looking at pornography and it's not going to affect your marriage and uh, as if sin has no consequences. It has consequences. So here's Jesus warning us, recorded in Mark chapter 9, and he's, he's recording us. He, he's warning us of the seriousness of sin. I don't know how more drastically someone could put it. Listen to what he says. 
We're in Mark chapter 9, verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Is Jesus exaggerating? Is he using scare tactics? Or is Jesus warning us about the dire consequences of sin and where it leads us? So we must combat lies with truth. And the lie is this. God's warnings in the Bible, they're way too dire. They're an exaggeration. They're a scare track tactic. They're not going to actually come to pass. You can sin and get away with it. There's the lie. And here's the truth. So we've got it up here on the screen. I'm going to read it and then I'm going to ask you to read it with me. But we want to say... Here it is. God's warnings are not exaggerations, but rather truthful previews of what will befall me if I disobey God. So rather, I reject the lie that God's warnings are too dire, and I believe, say it with me, I believe that God's warnings are not exaggerations, but rather truthful previews of what will befall me if I disobey God. Well, now Satan goes for the kill. He started with implanting this little idea that, you know, aren't aren't God's rules a little too strict? And then it's, oh, come on, his warnings are too dire. And now, here it is. God's interests are not yours. God, what God wants is not what you want. Verse 5, not only does he say, for you will not surely die, he then says, Satan, verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to become like he is. And so he's given this rule to you to keep you from being all that you can be and having all that you can have. See, God's, God's, the motive behind the rule is God is wanting to keep back good things from you. God's interests are not your interests. And so if you want to get all that should be yours, if you want the life that you should really have, your best life, then you have got to say no to God and make your own decision and go your own way. You have to disobey God in order to have your best life. See what he's done? And that's 
That's exactly, exactly what Satan himself did. Satan was not content with the role that God had allotted him. God did not intend for Adam and Eve to know good and evil. He intended for them to enjoy their state of innocence where they were naked and unashamed. But, but here is Satan offering Eve what he said was more and better. How many times have you heard that lie from Satan? I, I've thought this myself many, many times. Where the thought has come into my mind, you know what? Being a Christian, trying to live life God's way, it has, it has constraints, right? There are do's and don'ts. There are limitations. There are boundaries. And what would life be like if I just unshackled? And I just went out there and did whatever I wanted to do, and I followed my impulses, and I just gave into my desires. You know what? I had a good friend who did that. He and I went to seminary together. Uh, this guy was desire was to be a missionary. He's now in his forties, and we sit down for lunch, and he tells me, "Mike, I, I've never sown my wild oats. I've always been a good boy." And I just want to go do life. And so I'm putting, I'm putting God on hold. And, I'm, and I just want to tell you that. I hope you'll continue to be my friend and you won't judge me. I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. This is not going to end well. He did that for two years. And uh, I remember we met again for lunch. And he told me about the two years. He said it was, I, I despaired of ever coming back. I went out and I just did what I wanted to do. And, and it was, it did not bring him life. And he despaired of ever coming back. Fortunately, the Lord was merciful and, and brought him back around. But you know what? <clears throat> when, I, when that thought comes to my head... You know what? I wonder, would, would I have a better life? Then I come back to the truth, and, and the truth is, no, that's not where life is found. Life is found in obedience to Christ. Jesus, it's, it's found in obeying, it's obeying the commands of Christ and following his teachings and limiting myself, and therein is abundance. <clears throat> And so we read this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God. For, why? For our good, always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So, are God's commands in our best interest? Absolutely. Absolutely. God loves us. God gives us commands, and they're always for our good. There's no competition between God's glory and our joy. 
He's just, he has created us such that when we're doing what is right, we are happiest. We're blessed. And so it's obedience that truly, truly leads to life to the full. And it is sin that leads to death. Yeah, it might feel uh, pleasant in the moment, but it, it has a long-term consequence. And so to this lie that God's interests are not mine, we have a belief, a counter, a counter truth. And here it is. God's commands reflect his good heart for me. There's no conflict between what God wants from me and what is good for me. Obeying God is my sure path to true abundance. And we have to... We have to own these things, believe these things, take them by faith and stand in them when the lies come. So here it is on the screen. Say it with me. I believe that God's commands reflect his good heart for me. There's no conflict between what God wants from me and what is good for me. Obeying God is my sure path to abundance. The older I get, the more I believe that. Because I've seen, right? And with, with experience, with age, with observation, uh, our faith is strengthened. I've seen it in my own life. Sin never leads me to good places. Obedience always does. And I observe it in those around me. And I believe this. Obeying God is my sure path to true abundance. Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, Satan's deception has worked on Eve. She was blissfully innocent, enjoying fellowship with God and with her husband and the, the, the situation that God had put her in. Satan has come and deceived her and all of a sudden she concludes, you know what? In order to have my best life, I'm going to have to make my own decision about what's good for me. And I'm going to have to disregard God and reach out and eat. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lusts of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lusts of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise the pride of life, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She gets that Adam was there. And he didn't stop her. He, he sinned with her. If Satan can get you to even entertain the question, am I better off obeying God or disobeying God? He's won a great victory. Just by getting Eve to start to entertain the, you know what? Huh. Should I eat that fruit? Would that be good for me? 
And as soon as she goes there, she begin, her, her reason doesn't, because she doesn't have the mind of God. She doesn't have the wisdom of God. And so where does her reason get her? I should eat. Oh, it's good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. According to Satan, it's going to make me wise. I think I should have some of that. And so she reaches out and she eats. When we begin evaluating whether it is in our best interest to obey God, Satan has already won a victory. You know this. this you have, how many times have you done this? You begin to wrestle with the question, should I or shouldn't I sin? Once you're even processing that, you're, you're in grave danger. To defeat Satan's deception... Always let God's word be the final word. Always let God's word be the final word. So if God says, don't eat from the tree, you don't eat from the tree. Do you have to understand in order to obey? No, we don't have to understand to obey. Oftentimes, understanding comes after we obey. We don't have to understand to obey, and all obedience is blessed. You, you know what? At you, as you follow the Lord and as you obey Him, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, your understanding will increase, your wisdom will grow, your appetite will change, and you will begin to see the wisdom of God's rules You'll begin to appreciate them in a, in a deeper way. But you don't have to have all that to obey. <laughs> you just have to have simple, childlike faith. And we let God's word be the final word. And when Satan comes with his deception, you, you say, no, I trust God. I trust that when he tells me something, it's true and it's good and it's going to happen and I'm going to live my life out of faith in the word of God. That's how you resist the evil one. It's easy to say and it's hard to do in practice. But when you do it, you're blessed. And when you don't do it, bad things happen. We're going to talk about that next week. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves loincloths. So yeah, Satan was right in a, in a sense. Things changed. They gained knowledge that they didn't have before. But did it lead to life? Did it lead to joy? Did it lead to abundance? No. It led to shame. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig trees together. And made themselves loincloths. And right before this, they had been naked and unashamed. So they weren't better off. They were worse off. And it gets even worse. And we'll talk about that next week. So listen, we have an, we have an enemy. One who hates God and as a result hates us because we're created in his image. And he's seeking to destroy and his weapon is deception. He lies, 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 
but we have the truth of God. And if we will stand on the truth of God, we can resist the evil one. And we don't want sin in our lives. Sin is yuck. It leads to bondage. It leads to pain. You don't want it. So let's learn to say no to temptation. And this is a good story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It instructs us. It instructs us. We need your wisdom. Lord, we need your wisdom. And so I pray that this story would just tumble around in our minds and hearts this week. And you would use it to help inoculate us from the lies of the evil one so that we would not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.